Hey everybody, welcome to The Afterword, I'm Dave Tish. Look, before we dive in, just a quick warning. In the middle of the podcast, Andy Gridley and I talk about the book of Hosea. And if you're familiar with this book in the Bible, it deals with some pretty adult themes and events. So it's kind of PG-13, just giving you a warning in case there's little ones around. All right, with that, let's dive in. What's up, everybody? Welcome to The Afterword. Look, I am really excited because we just started a brand new sermon series called Called Out. It's a four-week series where we're going to examine what does it mean to be the church. Every year around fall, as school starts to launch and we go back into fall, we like to pause just as a community and remind ourselves why we're here. Why we're here as a church, what we're about. And we call it the three loves. If you're around Westgate for any length of time, you're going to hear about the three loves. Love God, love one another, and love your neighbor. Actually, every single staff member is required to get a tattoo of these three. Yeah, that's not true, but it's sort of true. It's tattooed on our hearts and our minds. The point is, these are important, really important for us to remember. Every single year around fall, we take some time and take a few weeks to remind ourselves why we're here, what we're about. Now, I know what you're thinking to yourself. Love? What's going on with that? Because love is kind of a mushy word. And that's why for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be examining what does it mean to love God, love one another, and love your neighbor. I know some of you are thinking, in the words of Tina Turner, what, what's love got to do with it? What's love got to do, got to do with it? Or maybe in the words of Foreigner, you think, I want to know what love is. I want to know what love is. Because, in the words of LL Cool J, I need love. I need love. Or like Mariah, we need a vision of love. Of Of what love could be, because our old ways of understanding love have failed us. And that love has taken its toll. But then we encounter God and his love is category defining and category busting. It is extraordinary, otherworldly. It's crazy. And once we encounter it, we think to ourselves, if this is not truly love, then why do I feel this way? But that's not the question that's facing us. The question that's facing us is not, does God's love exist? Of course it does. The question that faces us is the same one that was articulated by Heavy D and the boys back in the early 90s. Okay. I don't know if that was fun for anybody else, but that was a blast for me. Okay, so let's dive in and let's look at the first week of what it means to love God. Um, Again, this is a topic that's so big and vast. We're going to be spending our entire fall series for 11 weeks, including two weeks in the middle with Beautiful Day, where we practice what it means to love God going through this topic. But we got to at least jump in. So this week I asked Ben Pierce, our care pastor, and Andy Gridley, our South Hills campus pastor, to help me define and help me explore what it means to love God. Let's dive in. All right, hey everybody, welcome to the Afterword here with Andy Gridley. Hey, it's oh good to goodness. be back, Dave. Oh my goodness. Hi, everybody. Uh, Andy, so here, this is a weird week because your topic is loving God. 
Yeah. And as I was thinking on the way driving in here, I was thinking, what does the Bible, because the question we always ask is, what does the Bible say about this? So what right. does the Bible say about loving God? And I yeah. realized that is such a, that the entire Bible. Like where, what chapter do you go to? What book do you go it's to? It's the entire thing. It is the entire thing. Yeah. So um, I've heard some people say the, the Bible's entire story of God's love towards humanity yeah. right it's it's his loving act towards us what it looks cover like to cover yeah what it looks like what it doesn't look like yeah so it's not like you can go to just one place mm-hmm. to, to study this idea yeah right um this there's so much in this because this is part of our series in which we we look at the three loves of westgate which we think are critical yeah what does it mean to be a christ follower yeah. what does it mean to mirror our lives and our love like jesus that there's three loves, right? Yeah. Love God, love one another, like other people who are following Jesus, and love our neighbor. Right. And this week we focused on loving God. Right. Yeah. And actually, it's such a big topic that mm-hmm. we're going to be spending almost 11 weeks in the fall just delving into On this. a book that you wrote. Yes, we're yes, excited about this, yes. dude. Yeah, yeah. We're going to study the life of Abraham as a field guide to loving God. So we're going to be looking at this for... Uh, Nine weeks plus a two-week practicum where we do beautiful day together yeah. of what it looks like to love our neighbor. Which kind of nods that this is a big, giant, big, big topic. And yeah. we had the burden, Mark over at Saratoga campus and myself at South Hills, like how do we say something helpful yeah. in 30, 35 minutes? So you came down interestingly on um, on a, like a conviction of what you wanted to talk about. How did you arrive because again, there's so much to say. Yeah. How did you land, or where? What were your pastoral instincts as you interacted with the campus at South Hills? As yeah. you thought about the conversations you've I'll had. I'll say as this: I feel like this is probably the most important message that I've had the privilege of preaching at Westgate in wow. my entire time here. Like I, I don't know if it's because it's coming out of COVID, but something about getting back to the basics, getting back to the most simple, uh, clear call of Jesus about loving God is, yeah. this is it. This And so I was like, man, a lot of weight for myself, 35 minutes. But uh, I felt myself um, kind of responding to uh, the Spirit's invitation for me personally, let alone our community at South Hills. Um, and I think Mark felt something similar for Saratoga. But, you know, I, I went back to just Jesus' words in Matthew 22. Right. Somebody asked Jesus, hey, um, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Like, if I'm going to spend my life in any one direction, which way is it? And many of our listeners, you know, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Other versions say strength as well. Yeah. This is the first and greatest commandment. Like, Jesus is saying, like, this is it. Like, uh-huh. this is how you are designed mm-hmm. and wired to spend every fiber of your mm-hmm. being loving God, yeah, which is like very, very profound. But if you're like me, it's like, well, what does that even yeah. look like? How do I know if I'm doing it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, there's two things that are interesting to me about that. First, that this is a, a restatement of one of the most famous verses in the entire Old Testament, the Shema, mm, they called it, yeah. which is Deuteronomy 6, in which God says the same thing. Moses tells the people through God, Yes, this is the most important this thing. This is it. You've this been is pulled it. out of slavery, and yeah. this is what this is who my people are going to be. Yeah. Interesting connection. I hadn't thought of that. And in, in the fact that this series is called Ecclesia, the church, right? The called out ones. And um, yeah. so this isn't just something individually I do. Yeah. I'm, I'm individually pulled into this community, this family that, that God does has this. saved. Yeah. And our response to the cool work he's done in my life yeah 
is to love him. That's it. Yeah. You know, for a while, I tried to parse out heart, soul, mind, strength, you yeah. know, and um, <laughs> do do a lot of word studies and try to figure out if there's delineations or aspects of it. Like the word heart is the word labab um, and that or cardia in Greek. It's mm. this. It means your like control panel, what drives you, your mind, your thoughts, obviously, mm. yeah. your souls, your nefesh, haya, everyone, um, every living being. It's like you're living. And then, of course, your strength is the word maod, yeah. which means you're like, it's actually an adjective. It means like much, your muchness. Yeah, your much. So it means everything you have, like your wealth and your power and your Love relationships. Love the Lord your God with all your muchness. Yeah, which yeah. is a weird thing. So basically, as I tried to delineate it out, I remember Jay and I are having a conversation. He's like... I don't think it's meant to be parsed out like this part of your life and this part. I think Jesus is saying like all of it. Yeah. You're in enti- he's trying to say your entire humanness. Yeah, every fiber of your being. Yes. E- your muchness, every single part of you. Yeah, and I think it's really funny. I mean, it is helpful to tease those words out and kind of um there's a reason Jesus said all of them. Yes. And so we can we can play with that, but if we're not careful, then they became come like a ch- checklist. Yeah, like, yeah. well, my, I'm loving them with my mind. And what's funny to me is how each of us are wired. Like, you're much more of a mind person than me. I've, I bumped into mind people who'd be like, you know, they get very, uh, I don't know, emphatic that that we need to love God more with our mind, and they kind of ignore those other pieces, yeah, right? Yeah. So I think we all do you, that. We to all, your point, we all do that. To yeah. your point, it should be holistic as well. This is about. Everything. Your muchness, every yeah. fiber of your being. Okay, so what did you want to do with the yeah. message? And what aspect of loving God most resonated with you? Because you took a you took a tack that uh-huh. in order to love God, yeah, we actually have to receive God's love first. That's actually the first step in this is being loved by God. Yeah. Because our- otherwise we won't be able to to love God. So yeah, and it's not an original thought, you know, John the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's how he describes himself. Mm-hmm. He actually says this. I love he that. says in 1 John 4:19 that we love because he first loved us. That's the word agape. It's this the, you know, this supernatural love that we can begin to express only because we've received it. I know you have two kids, I have yeah. two kids. Um, one of my kids just naturally was a more snuggly kid when they when they arrived on the scene. The other one, not so much a hugger. You know, we got both those people in our community. Both of them are listening right now, huggers versus non-huggers. I'm a hugger, just so we're clear. <laughs> I'm a hugger too. Um, they can't see this, but we're hugging right now. No, we're not. Um, and what's interesting to me as a parent, I'm as a hugger, I would just hug this kid, snuggle this kid, and over the years, this kid has become more snuggly. He became more snuggly, Moses, because I first snuggled him, right? And that's, I think in a, in, a, in a very cheesy way, that's, that's what John is saying yeah. about God and his love towards us. We yeah. can only love God because he first loved us. And so I found myself um, wanting to keep it pretty simple instead of a bunch of checklists of of things we can do to love god and there are practices we can do that shape us and help us and form us and mark covers some of those actually in right. his message right. They're really really good uh, i just kind of felt the spirit saying hey before we take a step towards practices i, I want to bring you back to how much i love you which is the basic yeah the basic thing yeah so you you, you could have gone anywhere you could have chosen any aspect yeah in the bible god's rescuing of the israelites from slavery in exodus god rescuing abraham from uh, a pagan culture and calling him out yeah in a dead end of his life 
you could have you you could have gone through the New Testament with Jesus coming on the scene in the manger. Yeah. And you went to an interesting small book of the Bible, a prophet, yeah, minor a prophet. minor prophet yeah. named uh-huh. Hosea. Yeah, Hosea. And you think that this actually was a story that resonated with you as an articulation of who God is and what it means to... Uh, the word you kept using was respond to God's love. Yeah. So it's like God does it first, and then really love is just a response. So talk to me about Hosea and what you learned from that text. Yeah. Because that's it's a it's a small book. It's very weird. Uh huh. Um. It, but it's also yeah. Super... It's really an obscure, yeah, kind of gut wrenching, horrific, true story. Right. About one of the prophets in northern uh, Israel, about 750 years before Jesus. This guy Hosea. God calls him to be a prophet. And what's so interesting, different than today, um, uh, when we think of people who are speaking on behalf of God, a lot of times we just think about like their their content, like their what words. De- yeah, their words. Right. But prophets had to live out their words in some pretty profound ways. Almost like a, a metaphor of their life became a metaphor for what God wanted to say to Israel. Yeah. And Hosea, I think out of all the prophets, has probably the most gut-wrenching, just painful right. story, uh, word from God to live out. Right. And that's, um, I was inspired by a, a pastor by the name of Judah Smith. He yeah. He's the one I encountered kind of going through this. Phenomenal I preacher. Caused me to go back and go, my gosh, there's so much in this story mm-hmm. for us to understand just how great God's love so is. So give, give folks, I mean, we don't have time to go through all of it. Give, give yep. us a snapshot of of what's going on, and then we'll talk about the spiritual sure. implications. So just tell the, the story. Yeah, so uh, in chapter 1, Hosea, got, God calls him, and he says, hey, I want you to marry a prostitute, you know, because my people have um, become unfaithful to me. They, they have turned to other lesser good things and made them ultimate things. And he literally, um, in chapter 3, verse 1, he marries a, prof, a prostitute by the name of Gomer. And um, we see that it starts off pretty well. You know, they have three kids together. And then all of a sudden, one day, Gomer, this prostitute that Hosea's married, is gone. He's a single dad. She leaves. She's gone. Uh, presumably back to where she started, which was... Um, her some, former lovers. Yeah, her yep. former lovers. Yeah. And so then, you know, you can imagine it's not in the text, but this is a human story, a real story that there was probably some nights that Hosea is really wrestling with this. Like, yeah. I, I'm, I'm representing God to, to the people. I, I talk about faithfulness, and yet that's not even in my own home. Yeah. I, I, some really painful nights. And then in the midst of that, God breaks through and says, hey, go find your wife. Love her again. Take her back. And uh, many uh, scholars believe that he had to go to, you know, essentially the red light district, Mm-hmm. Ask around. You can imagine what that. So be she like. goes back to a former lover who's wealthy. He betrays her, mm. sells her, likely, yeah, back into some sort of sex trafficking or sex trade. Yeah, because some red light district finds her essentially on the bidding table. She's being sold. Unbelievable. She's being sold. His wife is being sold, who's already his, and and he has to pay for her again, and he does. It says that he pays um, essentially fifteen shekels of. Silver, you know, this is before Dogecoin and Bitcoin. And this kind of stuff. And <laughs> is that then, a lot of money? Is the implication that's a crap ton of money? Well, actually, um, 30 shekels is how much it is to buy a slave. He only has 15. So he empties out his entire bank account and then whatever's left, wine, barley, whatever, to equal 30 shekels. And so he, what the, the, so he buys her with everything he everything. has. Everything. His entire wealth. Yeah. 
Yep. And, um, and then he does, the next thing is he renews their vows. He says, hey, you're going to come home with me. You're not going to be with anyone else. I'm not going to be with anyone else. Wow. You're mine. And it's this covenantal kind of love yeah. that's going on, you know, Oof, right? right? There's right. something really beautiful and otherworldly in his love yes. towards his wife. Like, hey, nothing you can do would make me love you more or less. I don't care. You're mine. I love you. I'm recommitted to you. Commit yourself to me. And the implication is that this act of incredible, generous love yeah. that is undeserved yeah. changes Gomer. Yeah. That she responds to this incredible act of love by her former, her, her husband, yeah. who she betrayed. Yeah. And he does not hold that betrayal over her. Yeah. Somehow forgives her. Yeah. Still buys her with everything he has. Yeah, he goes for broke. And to show her how much she is worth to him. Yeah, he pays a price that she can't pay herself. Right. And he emancipates her, frees her, and he brings her into something. So obviously this is the metaphor that God is using is Israel. This is you. This this is is me. This is us. And then what's really cool in in chapter 3, verse 5, all of a sudden Hosea stops talking about just himself and his scenario, he pivots and he starts prophesying about the future for the people of Israel and then essentially all of us. And he says there's going to be a day where um, there's going to be a good king and he's going to do the same kind of things for you. You know, there's going to be a day where you're not just fearful, aware of your brokenness, but you'll be overcome with this king's goodness. Wow. There will be a day where you, you can taste and see the goodness yes. like this, this love that, that we just talked about. Right, right. And, um, you know, you fast forward 750 years, there is a king out of the line of David, mm-hmm. Jesus, who is being uh, really verbally accosted by some Pharisees. And it's in Matthew chapter 9, and they're like, hey, man, you know, why are you hanging out with sinners? Why are you going to broken places and hanging out with broken people? right. Like, don't you understand? Like, that's, you can't go there. And Jesus actually quotes Hosea. Does he really? It's really cool. Hosea chapter 9, verse 12. On hearing oh, this... I, this I, for some, I must have known this, but I, I'm, I don't remember this. Yeah, he so. says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And then he quotes Hosea, verse 13. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. What is Jesus saying? Wow. He's saying, look, I'm... I'm, I'm buying I'm Gomers. I yeah. buy Gomers. That's yeah. what I do. Yeah. I'm I'm your Hosea. I'm that prophecy fulfilled. Yeah. The day when a son of David, a king will come, and I'm a different kind of king. Yes. I'll expend everything. I'll pay what you cannot pay for yourself. Yes. Right? Yes. I'll take your debt on yes. Calvary's cross, and I'll overcome it. My love is like nothing you've ever experienced, and there will be a day where you don't just tremble or fear or mm-hmm. be in mm-hmm. awe of my holiness but you'll know me by my kindness and goodness. You'll tremble. You'll be overcome. Mm-hmm. You'll experience mm-hmm. my great love for you. I just think it's so cool, man. Yeah, that's unbelievable. So that's where we spent a lot of time. Um, yeah, it reminds me of, of the verse that Paul says, you know, in, in Romans, um, I think it's Romans 2. Yeah, Romans 2. The, the idea that his kindness leads us to repentance. That's that, right. That's exactly what's going on here. And it also reminds me of, and this isn't biblical, but uh, do you remember my utmost for his highest? It was a devotional. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, kind of a famous devotional um, by Oswald Chambers. There's this, and I don't know where in the devotional it is, but I remember when I was a new Christian, like early on in my in my walk, there was this devotional. He said every Christian has, at one moment in time, 
a stark realization of what their life would have been like mm-hmm. had Christ not intervened. Yeah. It's Gomer standing on the slave yeah. table being sold. Yeah. And realizing what could have happened. Yeah. If that love yeah. that was unreasonable and ridiculous and extravagant had not come yeah. and rescued here. If God had not been the kind of God that he is. Yeah. And what happens in that moment when you reflect on that, Chamber says, is this deep gratitude that is that changes your life. Keller has helped me a lot with this because by, by Keller you mean Tim, Tim Keller, Tim Keller yes. um, around the idea of idols because you know when I hear her story I can I can resonate with the relational disconnect the the, yeah. the, the, the betrayal yeah but I honestly I kind of listen and I think well you know I'm not sleeping around with people so yeah. I didn't do anything I'm, I'm fine but what you really the, where to your point where you can begin to have some compassion is we all have things in our heart our hearts are idol factories right, right. and we all have things Things that are good things that become ultimate things like me as a parent all of a sudden if my whole identity and worth and value is around that then when my kids fail instead of being the kind of father who's compassionate and loving and patient I'm evil I'm evil in my response I get sort of bent out of shape in a way that's to your point there's these moments where I go my gosh if Christ wasn't the center if he wasn't my ultimate love and I put that kind of weight on being a parent or on my marriage mm-hmm. and that having to be perfect all the time or uh, on my career or on my finances. You know, there's these sort of lies of our identity that exist in all of us. And uh, we get these little glimpses of like, hey, if Christ wasn't there, all you would have is being enslaved to these lesser good things. But, but these things that distort and, and warp you in such a way where your career becomes about you, mm-hmm. when your career should be about others and, and flourishing, or your marriage should be about your spouse or your kids, right? So yeah. I just think, to your point, there's these moments that the Spirit will give us of, hey, you're be- beginning to pull away from your first love. Yeah. And it's time to come back. It's time to be reminded of how much I love you. And you can only snuggle when you've first been snuggled. <laughs> you can only love and do this well when you spend time being loved. So let's get practical for yep. this because these are beautiful theological truths. And the question is, how do we live in this? How? Yeah. How, how do we live in this? Um, it's weird. Like it's weird to say, how can we be loved by God? How can we be snuggled by God? Like, what advice do you have? <laughs> What advice do you have to folks who um, maybe have a just don't know like what do you mean like yeah. how do we practically do this? Yeah. Um, what's the best practice? Something that's been helpful to you? Man, coming out of COVID, all I, I felt like the spirit was saying to me is like stop, like mm. like slow down, don't rush to a, a bunch of checklists. Why are you in such a hurry to to refill that calendar with everything but my love? Like would you just stop and slow down? And listen, the point of Hosea is to to let God tell a story. It's not just a, a historical thing. Like God wants me to slow down and sit with him and, and be reminded of his love. I, I feel like the, the ancient word for this in Christian tradition is meditation. But it's not something so much that I have to go do. It's a, it's a position, a posture I take. It's a slowing down right. and letting God's word daily wash over me until it begins to penetrate my heart. Yeah. Until I begin to really understand his great love for me and for you and for our church and for our world. That's what God wants to do. Stop. 
Yeah. Carve out time. Yeah. Stop. Yeah. Slow. Yeah. Stop. Yeah. These kind of, and it's interesting you use the word meditation because that word has a, a lot of baggage and there's some weird things to it. Like um, in some traditions, some religious traditions, they'll say it's emptying your mind. Right. But in the Christian tradition, it's more like deeply focusing your energy and heart and time yeah. on God, either in prayer or through scripture yeah. or um, kind of meditating or thinking about um, your story with God, mm-hmm. um, his story in the Bible, right? Um, what um, the the scriptures, whatever whatever it might be. Yeah, a helpful thing for me was um, from this book called The Deeply Formed Life, Rich Viotas. Viotas, yeah. Viotas. Um, he says that meditation, we all do it. Uh, th- this Christian version that you're talking yeah. about, we all do it. Like when when uh, when your wife. I don't know. Was there texting when you guys were first there, dating? Uh, I don't want to give <laughs> give my age, but let's just say that there was not. Okay, so when she wrote you a love note, yeah. you knew how to meditate. You read that thing over and over again, yeah. word by word. Yeah. And it wasn't just data on a page. There was some right. affection, right? There was yeah. some, And that's what Scripture is. Mm-hmm. Scripture is God's love to us um, written mm-hmm. down so that we get to know who He is and, mm-hmm. and, and what He's like in the story and how we're pulled into his greater story, which is a story of love. And so I think the habit I want to challenge you and myself, everybody listening with, is stop, slow down, meditate, chew on his words as if it was that first love letter you got from someone else. I've been deeply challenged by one of the women here at the South Hills campus, Priscilla, who leads her prayer ministry. Mm. Um, There was a, a time pretty recently, it was almost like an edge she had. She's like, we have got to be people of prayer. And she said it with such um, mm-hmm. such passion, and I was so convicted by it. It was like, I keep thinking about Priscilla, the saint who has lived with God for so, so long, saying, carve out time, stop. Don't start your day with activity. Don't start your day with flurry and to-do list, and what do I have to do? Yeah. But just, like, stop. Yeah. So I thought it'd be good if we just stopped. Collaborate with God and listen to his... Stop, collaborate, and listen. Oh, Lord, help us, everybody. Yes. Sorry. God is back with a brand new edition. Uh-huh. And something will grab a hold of us tightly. Yeah. And, and God's Spirit will flow like a I'm not sure this like is very hawk, mature, but nightly. it will be memorable. I think it will, <laughs> this is going to help. Yeah, so... Um, you, okay, so we're, we're going to go to one of the more famous Psalms of David, a song of meditation. Uh-huh. And uh, do you want to read it? Or you want me to read it? I think you should read it. Oh no! Okay. But here's what I want to invite well, you guys to do: is yeah. um, um, this is a weird thing for us as a community. We're not used to like I think to your point, really slowing down. Just uh, as Dave reads, be open to God's Spirit speaking to you. Notice which words jump out. Notice which ideas. And I really, really believe that as Dave reads this right now. You're going to hear God's voice to you and not just some cool information. God wants you to know him. Chapter four of Hosea, God's complaint to Israel is that they don't know him. Mm. And not like intellectual. Yeah, the word there is like intimate knowledge, like between a husband and a wife. Wow. And he's saying like, I want you to know, to experience my love. So as Dave reads, be open to God revealing how much he loves you. Let his His words wash over to you, uh, over you until it pierces your heart uh, in a fresh way, and you allow God to love you in the deepest parts of you today. Mm. 
I'm going to read from the New Living Translation simply because I do this with my I did this with my students for years. Yeah. It's probably the most readable. Yeah. Uh, you can read it in NIV or ESV or NASB or whatever. I only read it in original um, Hebrew the, because the, original Greek. Yeah. Oh, the Hebrew, I guess. Yeah. Be, yeah. Because I'm a Bible scholar. Oh, okay. He's smiling because he knows that's not true. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's read this. Be open to God speaking to you right now. Psalm 23, a Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. And even when I walk through the darkest valley... I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. And surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. As you sit and think and reflect and meditate on that, may you feel God's love. And may you respond out of that. And may all of us do that more and more every day. Let me finish with these words from Paul. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, Costco-sized resources, that God will empower you right now as you're listening with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots, they're going to grow into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and how long and how high and how deep his love is for you listening right now. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. May it be so. Thanks, Andy. Thank you. All right, I'm here with Ben Pierce. Ben, why don't you tell folks a little bit about what you do? I don't even know what your title is. You're just awesome. I don't think that's a title, um, being awesome. So why don't you tell folks, um, is it care? You're over in the entire care ministry, but you're also a care pastor, but you're also a pastor. So talk about I am care pastor. It means I get to hang around with people who are going through stuff and need to talk to a real life person in a smaller setting yeah. where they can ask questions and get answers that fit their situation. All right. So the question we're talking about right now is the issue of loving God. Mm-hmm. A lot of times when people hear the term, we need to love God. Uh, a list of disciplines or things that they can do to connect with God, whether it's reading their Bible, getting up early, prioritizing, that kind of stuff, comes into their mind. But then another emotion floods in, which is, I haven't been doing this. I'm not good at it. Uh, And then shame and guilt kind of flood in. Like, how? 
How do we get around that? Is is there truth to that? Is there not truth? What have you seen? Like, what does it mean? How do, how can you how do you help people decipher what it means to love God? Yeah, you know, I think it's an easy confusion to have because it's easy to confuse the fact that we do love God and have been loved by God with the efforts we try and make to experience that love. Um, I do know that when I fell in love with my wife, nobody had to hold my feet to the fire to want to spend time with her. <laughs> I was I could not wait to spend more time with her. I think it's better to start from a place of not you must do X, Y, and Z to experience the love of God, to say you may. Heaven has been rendered accessible to us, Hmm. and now we may spend time with the lover of our souls. Hmm. And so I want to figure out ways... It's like the, the gifts are under my Christmas tree. I may go in and figure out how to open them. Because mm-hmm. they're already have been given to me, I think what can turn toxic is when I start turning the, whether it's praying, reading my Bible, going to my men's group, doing any of those things that I do, that help me experience the love of God, into like a spiritual push-up, some kind of calisthenics that I think I'm doing to earn God's love and earn His favor, mm-hmm. and then they turn toxic because it turns into just another work. And I lose track of the fact that my whole relationship with God is based on grace, on the fact that it's His work for me, mm-hmm. not my work for Him. But it, it sounds like it's a small change, but it's a huge change because it it then anything I do, whether it's taking a walk in nature, whether it's turning up my worship music as I'm commuting to work, whether it is getting up early and praying or reading my Bible, it's not anything I'm doing to try and make God love me. It's creating some space on my calendar to actually experience that. Hmm. Because God, you know, it's different than you, Dave. I'm sitting here, I'm talking to you, but I can also touch you with my hand. Right, right, right. With God, I have to learn to perceive Him because it's not an eyes, ears, and fingers kind of touchable, hearable, feelable. I have to learn to discern Him and... So much of the rest of my life is noisier than God is. Mm, yeah. So I have to kind of create avenues where I can perceive Him. And for me, that has involved some habits. But it, it was a f- switch. I had to intentionally flip from habits as a means of trying to earn God's love. Because that's what the rest of the world is based on. I don't get a paycheck unless I do certain things. Right. This is completely... Uh, turned around from that. It's, yeah. I have been given something outstanding. Why not make some time to actually experience that, to let it wash over me, to let it condition my mind and my emotions so that I face my day in, in the light of that. So you're saying there's a corrective in the way that we perceive the disciplines, that habits are fine and that they're good and necessary. As Dallas Willard once said, Grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. And But at the same time, the idea of these things, the idea of why we do these things, that the core motivation is not to earn, but rather to receive. Which is, I think, a hard thing to receive. Like you said, it seems like every moment of our lives from the time we're little, you work hard in school, and then you get a good grade, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you 
get good grades, you can get a good job, you get a good job, you get paychecks, right? Everything is earning, everything is conditioned by performance. And even, I was thinking about this past week, Simone Biles, who is without a doubt the greatest gymnast, one of the greatest athletes in the history of U.S. athletics, uh, pulled out of an event because she was unable to perform. She had the twisties. She lost herself in the air. She got lost in the air. And she was unable to perform in all of her events. And the vitriol that was directed toward her, I think... Um, really drove home the point that I think a lot of people really do feel like if they don't perform, if they don't do something, that love will be revoked. Um, you have your own story yep. about that experience. And I just want to dive into that because I think this fear that if we don't perform or aren't something, that love will be revoked, I think it runs deep in humans. Yeah. And so you would actually, weirdly enough, you had a, a situation that was similar to Simone. You had... Uh, something happened to you, which took you out of the game. Why don't you explain to folks and tell folks what happened? Yes, yeah, so September 25th, 2010, had a severe bike accident with brain trauma, broken neck. And So what, were you just riding down a hill? What was going down? Yeah, I rode riding down a hill uh, less than two miles from my house, going faster than I should have been, but it's a big, wide bike lane, no, no side, uh, no driveways coming in so bikers tend to let it roll and I was going 45 at the bottom of a hill and a car didn't see me and pulled out in front of me and so I teed into the side and went up and over and landed on my head um and anyway it I was out of my role as a pastor for about a two two and a half year period you're just recovering I mean it sounds like it was pretty catastrophic you said you broke your neck yeah couple places oh my gosh um, and how long were you in the hospital to recover from that? uh you know four or five days it wasn't the the neck wasn't broken where the broken pieces were against my spine they were on the outside oh, okay of, yeah of the spinal column but in that time i realized how deeply ingrained my sense of worth is tied to what i'm doing every yeah. day yeah and i can quote the theology of why my worth is not dependent on what I produce as well as anybody. And yet when that was removed from me, I felt adrift. Yeah. I, it had to go from being an abstract concept to something that I struggled to make real of, I'm not a power tool in God's workshop that's only valued as long as it functions like a drill or a hammer. Right. Because the drill and the hammer were busted. Right. Does he still love me? And I I knew in my head that he would. I knew in my head that he did. But living through it, it had to move those critical eight inches from my head to my heart. And it was not easy. Yeah. It was hard, sweaty work. As a pastor, as someone who preached this to other people, oh yeah, this was so difficult for you to... I, I, what I'm hearing you say is it was difficult for you to receive God's love because you you had these ideas that if you... I love the power, power tool analogy. Yeah. What helped? Talk to me about what helped because, uh, again, you were unable to work yeah. for a season. Yeah. You were part of a church. You were leading the church. You were the, you, you were the head of that church. Mm-hmm. People depended on you. You were effective. It was growing. It was great. Mm-hmm. Everything was going well. You were speeding down the hill on the bike at 45 miles an hour, yeah. right? Yeah. And then all of it, as it gets taken away, all of it's gone. Yeah. What helped you? What'd you do? 
So, well, I'll tell you what didn't help me. Okay. Is my initial reaction was to kind of withdraw. Huh. Um, I went into a fair amount of isolation. I, I was... I didn't want to have to walk through the whole story again of why I wasn't still doing ministry. And in my my negative self-talk, I kind of felt like I'm Ben, the failed church planter who planted this church and in seven years eventually had to shut it down because his body wasn't working mm-hmm. and we weren't big enough to sustain that for an indefinite period of time. And I got invited to be part of a thing called Soul Care, which was a, basically, you know, we're talking about habits earlier. Sure. It was basically, we're inviting you into a nine-month process where every month you're going to set aside some time to specifically meet with other people who are following Jesus and to listen Jesus to Jesus for yourself. I didn't want to go because I felt, you know, I'm going to be among all these successful pastors and I'm going to be the failed church planter. I don't want to walk through it again. I got a friend who sent me an email with the subject line, are you on crack? She says, at this point in your life, you're going to say no to going into soul care. So I got it. I got invited into something that forced me to create time Hmm. to listen. And it, forced me to rub elbows with wise people who could help me process because mm-hmm. I, I had broken bits and pieces around me and I couldn't put them all back together by myself. Yeah. And um, it really was in that that year long, nine month long period was incredibly helpful for me to kind of put, make sense out of what to that point had just been trauma. Yeah. But to kind of put it into a narrative of the story of my life. Yeah. And how so many people in God's world have gone through seasons like that where yeah. you think you're doing everything right and then the whole thing blows up. Yeah. And you, you can't figure out a nice silver lining of why that makes it all feel better again. Yeah. And, um, but to realize, you know, that's almost a universal story. If, if you know the Lord long enough, you're going to walk through suffering, you're going to walk through unexplained yeah. suffering. Yeah, that uh, that you can't make sense of. It doesn't fit within. Do good things and good things will happen. happen yeah, yeah. And you have to have to walk through those, or you're not going to make it. Yeah. Um, or you're going to spend the rest of your life kind of walking around, flipping the middle middle finger to heaven. Yeah. Or just or becoming cynical. Yeah. I kind of believe in God, but I. He's not for me. I really, or he, did, I he doesn't care, but I don't trust. Him. Yeah, he's he's not good. He didn't I he didn't didn't help me when I needed it. He's really going to have my back. Yeah, boy, that's and that's the original sin that was whispered in the garden. Is yeah. God really good? Yeah, and that goes all the way back to Genesis. Um, what role did people play in exhibiting the love of God to you to help you receive that? Was it just that they processed it with you, that they led you to the giver of all good love of God Himself? Um, people were God's hands and feet. It was mm. like they were a glove that God could put on his hand to minister to me. You know, I, I never will forget, we went to a birthday party of a member of our church that we had had to close down. And about the, the birthday party girl, she was very unique in that about half of her circle of friends were Jesus followers who had been to our church and about half of them mm-hmm. totally not followers of Christ. 
And as the husband said, hey, everybody get up who would like and share an insight that you want to give to Kim on her birthday. And the folks from our church kept standing up, sharing things they had learned in our church. And most of them weren't believers when they came. And they kept saying, this is what I learned in my church, and this is what I want to give to you, Kim, and all of this. This is our church that we had closed down, my failed church plant, quote, unquote. And the wait staff started saying, hey, I don't know where that church is, but if a church like that exists, I want to be there. And it was just like, okay, i got to be a lot slower to call something failed just because it didn't go according to my plan right if it changed people's lives and people would just even if it helped them for a, a season they, yes what what god did that, there was real church yeah. just kept getting in my face and saying ben don't ever call yourself a, a failed church planner right. here's what it did in my life here's right. how it changed my kids here's right. how it changed my marriage yeah and all of that so it it, it um seasons of suffering can make you reevaluate what success and failure look like yeah Boy, can it. And like you said, the inevitable truth is that suffering will come. You bet. And getting through that and receiving God's love through that. Well, Ben, thanks for um, all that you do to serve people. One of the things that I love about um, you is that you've gone through such deep suffering, and yet your joy and trust in God is unabated. It's really inspiring. And I'm actually afraid because I know that it will come for me, and I'm going to need you. Because you've been through it. Yeah. And that's really powerful to me. Um, I don't look forward to that. Nobody wishes it. It's just inevitable. Yeah. It um, and so um, we're really grateful for that. I'll tell you a quick story. Sure. Um, in the diary of Anne Frank, hmm. um, so it's about a Jewish family where they're during the Holocaust. The daughter is talking to her grandfather saying... Granddad, I don't know if I can die. Hmm. If this happens, I don't know that I can pull this off. And Granddad said, hey, do you remember when we used to go in Amsterdam on the train? She goes, yeah, I remember that. And he said, when did I give you your train ticket? And she said, well, right before we got on the train. And he said, well, why didn't I give it to you earlier? And Anne said, it's because you were afraid I would lose it if, I, if you gave it to me earlier. And he said... If God calls you to ride a train that's got suffering, that's when he'll give you the ticket to be able to pull it off. Hmm. So don't don't get all stressed out in advance. If you have to ride a train that's extremely difficult, he will give you the grace you need then. Wow. What a powerful reminder. Yeah. Um, just a deep encouragement, Ben. Thanks for that. Thanks for reminding us to take time to carve out space and prioritize the space. To, to receive from God and um, I pray it would be helpful and um, if people need help if they if they're like man what Ben's talking about I'm going through right now how do they how do they get how do they get in touch with uh, your department easiest way is to email care at westgatechurch.org that always makes it to me perfect Ben thanks okay God bless very much to Ben Pierce and Andy Gridley for stopping by. Join us next week when we tackle week two, love one another, and then we go right into love your neighbor. It's going to be an incredible ride. Here we go. And it's my prayer as we go through the sermon series where we concentrate on the three loves that at the end of it, we'll all have a renewed God-inspired vision of love. Mariah, take us home. I have a vision of love.
Thank you, Mariah, and we'll see you next week.